Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. And now it's time for me to welcome on my guest, John Rodriguez, who serves as the Energy Business Director of Energy Power Plants at Orsalis North America, Inc., and has over 20 years of professional experience with a diverse background covering power generation in multiple industries to include data centers, utilities, mining, oil and gas, and commercial industrial customers. John, welcome to Annual Patch Radio Show. Thank you. Glad to be here. You know... As we talk about energy evolution, it's an exciting time, in my opinion, to be in the energy sector. Um, as we still need our good old reliable oil and gas, there is a global push, as we all know, to make transitions or find uh, energy solutions for the world that make sense in decarbonizing our planet and being more environmentally friendly to it. Today's show, I want to cover the hotbed of activity uh, that is being covered in the media, which is hydrogen. It's a promising energy uh, alternative. So John, I wanna start with covering a little bit about hydrogen. So um, what I know it to be, um, uh, the media reports you guys sent out is, it's a sustainable fuel for the future and it achieves 100% renewable energy for the future. Sustainable fuels must be leveraged as part of the decarbonation strategy, according to you guys. And while there's a large range of sustainable fuels, hydrogen is one part, green hydrogen. So we're going to get into what that is here in the show. Um, green hydrogen is produced by electrolysis using renewable electricity. It can further turn it into derivatives like things that we're very familiar with, ammonia and synthetic methane. And then when it is stored, it is converted back to electricity by thermal balancing power plants when the grid cannot be supported entirely by uh, renewable energy sources. So that seems a little complicated for the average person on the surface level. I get it, but this is what I do for a living. It's a lot harder for the general person to understand hydrogen. So let's go back just one step. Tell me about when you talk about hydrogen and how it's used with like a company like Porcella that you guys are using at a utility plant, can you walk me through what that looks like? What has it been before? What was y'all, what were y'all using before coal or how was this working and how is, we're going to talk about a test you guys did, but the difference between what hydrogen looks to be a, a, a bridge for the future in the way of energy. Sure. Yes. Thank you for that. Let me, uh, let me, I guess, try and explain and, and attempt to explain the concept of hydrogen as a, as one of the future fuels. So future fuels is basically a, a term that's been invented recently to describe any fuel that is um, able to be used um, that will provide, as you mentioned, carbon-free or carbon-neutral uh, fuels for for generation for electric power generation purposes. And mm -hmm. so, traditionally and and still today, um, there's lots of technology around the world that uses fossil fuels to burn either um, oil, you know, diesel fuel, basically. Um, or or natural gas, and um, to, to to convert that those energy sources into electricity using different types of equipment, but but primarily either reciprocating engines. So think of a car engine, except way bigger um, on a utility scale, 
or things like combustion turbines, which is a, again, I guess you could just think of a, a, an engine on a plane, except instead of just creating thrust, it's actually connected mechanically to a generator and, and, and then they make uh, electric power with that. So each of those technologies have a very common theme, which is the combustion of something to convert a, a energy-rich fuel into rot rotating power. And then that rotation is converted to electricity using a generator. So hydrogen is obviously, you know, our most elemental uh, element. Um, it's the first one on the periodic table. Um, and so because of that, it's an extremely small molecule and um, its natural state is, is hydrogen uh, H2. So two hydrogens bound together. And um, um, it's an exciting prospective uh, future fuel because it can be generated in, an, in a, in a carbon-free way. And as you, as you described, the process of electrolysis, which is basically taking electricity, which would be provided through renewable energy sources like solar and, and wind, and taking the excess amount of that energy uh, supply and putting it into a device um, called an electrolyzer, which takes basically water, so H2O, and it injects electricity. And of course, there's some complicated things that happen but they convert the electricity and then the water is separated into hydrogen and oxygen. And the oxygen would, would typically be, be taken off and, and used for various purposes for oxygen. But of course the hydrogen would be captured and then stored in some way to be then later used as a combustion fuel for those, mm -hmm. for those power generation technologies I described. And so you could actually um, create that hydrogen without any carbon being created. And then when you burn it in the combustion process, either in an engine or in a combustion turbine, the, the, the chemical reaction of that combustion doesn't produce any carbon dioxide or any carbon either because there's, um, there's no carbon in the, in the, chemical, chemical, um, um, the chemical reaction of that combustion. And so um, it's an exciting future fuel because of that. And as you also accurately described, Hydrogen can be burned in its raw state as hydrogen gas, or it can be converted again to ammonia, which is um, NH3, um, nitrogen, and then three hydrogen atoms, um, which again, when burned, uh, creates no carbon emittance. Or as you also stated, another type of product, synthetic methane, which is, which is CH4, so carbon plus four hydrogens, which is basically what natural gas is today. So natural gas is almost over 90% methane, which is that CH4 chemical um, symbol, I guess. Um, and um, it's the basis of all natural gas generation and uh, really all uses of natural gas. So in that case, you would actually be doing a carbon neutral um, um, combustion because basically to create that synthetic methane, you would pull carbon from the, from the atmosphere. And then when you burn it in, in a combustion uh, process, you would then be releasing that same exact amount of carbon back to the environment. So those are the, the, um, the details around uh, the future fuels. And, and it's, it's certainly a hot topic, as you mentioned. Um, pilot projects around the world are being developed and put into, uh, into, into use so that we can start to understand what the future will, will really look like. And um, um, Wurzilla, uh, is the technology company based in Finland that I represent. And we're one of the global leaders in the development of ways to use these future fuels for usefulness in the power generation sector.
Well, you know, we've had Marcella on the show before when we were discussing, you know, what happened here in Texas with our um, winter storms that we had and how y'all have these satellite uh the satellite sites, if you will, for the utilities and how y'all's managed versus some of the other ones. And because you guys are so used to dealing with super cold, cold, cold uh, snowstorms, how you all did not go offline at all. And that was a different show, but you guys are very versatile in in this sector. Now it's good to see you guys are getting into the uh, renewable fuels. So let's back up. So we talked about hydrogen and I know that there's a whole bunch of different colors. The, The main promising one that seems to be really doing, excuse me, well, is green hydrogen. But I want to back up and give our listeners an understanding of when we, you guys did a test, we're going to cover that later on the show, but explain to me how prior to this test that you guys did, what was the nature and and how do you see um, the technology being used beforehand that was very carbon, carbon intense? Was it using something that was like um, coal? Or uh, uh, what, what were you burning in the way of before you tried the hydrogen test that we're going to cover a little bit later on in the show? Sure. So the, the primary fuel is natural gas. And that is a um, fuel that's been getting more and more um, utilization over the last few decades. It's mm-hmm. basically it's basically displacing coal. And and when you when you go from a cold power generation um system to a natural gas system, you actually save a tremendous amount of carbon emittance right then, right there. That So that is already a transition towards a more sustainable future as those uh, per unit carbon emittances by those fuels is drastically different. Coal is, is let's just call it the worst of the, of the existing uh, fuels from a carbon emittance standpoint, um, as well as other emittances that come out of the coal burning process. It's just sort of a a dirty fuel. There are ways for for people to to clean that emission up, but it's it's a bit costly and um, and 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 really the coal generation fleet that is out there is is very much um, being retired at an accelerated rate. Um, I'd say primarily uh, because it's become less economic. Um, it's a it's a economically unfriendly uh, solution as well. So not only is it the dirtiest of the fuels, it's also one of the costliest for power generation uh, entities to continue to run. Uh, part of that costliness is because of the requirements um, in the United States to clean up that emission profile. Um, and those systems cost a lot of money. So natural gas is the primary use. Um, that's the pretty much the, the, the dominant fuel that Wurtzilla participates in the electric, electricity sector in the United States. Um, it can be, um, um, it, it still has a lot of years of usefulness um, as, a, as a firm dispatchable um, fuel source to allow our electric, electric grid to be reliable and resilient in the coming decades. And um, um, the, one of the primary reasons that Wurzilla is gaining, um, let's call it market share, and, and building more and more new plants, new engine power plants, is because the application of the grid is changing over time because of the influx of tremendous amounts of renewable energy sources, the the solar and the wind primarily. And as those resources come online and and add electricity into the grid at a a zero fuel cost um, perspective, because obviously the wind doesn't cost any money and neither does the sun, um, what happens is um, 
the power plants that have been serving our electric grid for decades, these large central station plants, such as coal plants or, or very large combined cycle natural gas plants, is that they are they are inflexible. Their operations need to basically produce power at a very steady rate and their ability to uh, turn down, which is basically reduce the amount of electricity they're generating is somewhat slow and, hard, and has, has trouble reacting to the very quick changes that renewable energy sources like solar and wind introduce into the, into the grid. Our okay. technology is extremely fast to respond and also can come offline completely very quickly. And that ability to basically balance the renewables is our driving factor and, and the reason that we're we need that. And we need that, John. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to get into the testing that you guys did and the promising future it holds. You're listening to a new Apache Radio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to a new Apache Radio Show. My guest today is John Rodriguez, who serves as the Energy Business Director of Energy Power Plants for Wasella North America. John, before the break, you were so gracious in helping us understand really the importance and the great future potentially that hydrogen has. And while there are a lot of colors in hydrogen, and, and to be honest with you, um, I know the colors. I don't know if I know all of them to the great extent that they have, but I do know one thing. Hydrogen is definitely coming in and showing that it has great promise. Now, the reason why you're on the show is back in October, you guys took a significant step in advancing the use of hydrogen as a fuel in power generation. Um, I can read this, but I'd prefer for you to tell us what the test consisted of, uh, and then we'll start breaking it down of the potential it has for future uh, because to me, this is kind of cutting edge. This is kind of breaking the mold we've had in the past. This has the potential of really changing how we use and look at fuel in the future period. So let's start with what happened in October 22nd, October 2022. Sorry. <laughs> sure. Correct. Thanks, Kim. Yeah. So uh, Wartzilla has an existing power plant for a utility customer in the upper Midwest called WEC Energy Group. And one of their operating companies is in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, where we have a couple of, of our engine power plants. And they decided to try a um, to endeavor on a on a research study facilitated by EPRI, the Electric Power Research Institute, which is a extremely um, innovative and industry uh, reaching organization that drives innovation across all the different aspects of electric power um, in, in the United States. Uh, so EPRI was, was hired to, um, to create a study and a test protocol and, and then also a uh, engineering procurement and construction firm called Burns and McDonald out of Kansas City, Missouri, um, was contracted to help facilitate the test as far as the balance of plant and, and sourcing the hydrogen and, in, and injecting it into the fuel supply for this engine power plant. So the test was, was planned out over a pretty prolonged amount of months, I think six to nine months of planning. And um, it all culminated in October of 2022 when the test was conducted. And the test was intended to prove that an existing generation asset already connected and providing power to the to the to the grid 
could use a significant amount of hydrogen and operate at a, at a similar performance level and at the same time reducing its carbon emittance and, um, and um, providing value. And so what was so what was done is Burns and McDonald and EPRI designed a system to inject a hydrogen uh, fuel into the natural gas fuel system of the power plant and to control the amount of blend. So basically, um, when you look at the volume of natural gas feeding the power plant, they were able to very accurately introduce hydrogen into that pipe and offset the amount of natural gas being sent to the engine. Mm -hmm. But and in your in your notes here, it says by twenty five percent. Correct. So we did multiple test pro, uh, runs, and um, each each blend amount was then validated through um, uh, performance data, both on the electric production engine stability and also the emissions profile. So we did multiple rounds of tests, and at each stage, they we raised the amount of hydrogen being blended into the pipe. And we started at 15%, where it was able to run up to 100% output with um, insignificant performance degradation. Um, mm -hmm. And then we ran a second test at 20%, and then uh, lastly, the 25% blend. And 25% is, um, um, it's not the physical maximum that the, the equipment can take, but rather it actually um, is a safety standard where if you go above that amount of blend in the pipe, you then enter into hazardous environment, explosive environment um, conditions where you would have to take tremendous safety precautions. But if you go up to that 25% level, you can actually treat the environment just like a, a, a regular power plant burning natural gas. So that's why we were able to stop at that 25%. And at that 25%, without any mechanical modifications to the engine to accommodate that fuel, we were able to achieve roughly 95% output and, and see the carbon emittance um, uh, be reduced by roughly 9%, which actually matches the energy content of that 25% blend. So not to get too technical, but basically hydrogen is less dense from an energy standpoint than natural gas. And right. so when you displace um, natural gas with hydrogen, you're changing the density of energy in that volume. And therefore, um, um, that 25% of hydrogen by volume only represents about 9% of the energy content needed for that combustion. And I want to, you know, just kind of back up and remind our listeners that, you know, nuclear, I'm sorry, not nuclear, um, natural gas is a pretty clean burning fuel. However, it does have its issues pertaining to the environment, whereas hydrogen is completely carbon free. So the ability to look and see with no, no mechanical modifications to this engine, you're able to start feeding in hydrogen less um, natural gas. And as I guess these tests are ongoing, um, I guess the hope is to really make it to where it's all usable in the way of hydrogen and not even natural gas, which, which would be 100% carbon free, correct? That is correct. And, and Wartzilla is on the path to have a 100% hydrogen capable engine by 2026. 
We're going to get into that. You're getting ahead of the show. Hold on, John. Let's take a quick break because I want to get into that and some of the alternative fuels, too, that you guys recognize um, as promising for the future, too. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry, Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com. Or you can call us 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is John Rodriguez, who serves as the Energy Business Director for Energy Power Plants at Marcellas, North America. John, I want to go back to the significant findings that came out of a test that had been in the makings for quite some time. But back in October 2022, um, a group of you guys and partnership came together to do some testing pertaining to how to operate uh, your power plant or a power plant, excuse me, using hydrogen blends as as opposed to all natural gas, which we talked about earlier in the show, how hydrogen is a really promising fuel for the future because it is carbon neutral. Um, that being said, let's go back to the testing um, in the testing and what came out of it was the ability for you guys to use 25% to start. Um, you mentioned in the previous segment that there's some reasons for safety that, you know, you want to use that. Tell me what you see the future of the continuing testing. Like, how does this scale up, if you will? What is Warcella's hope to continue to develop this power plant in using more hydrogen and becoming, uh, taking off the um, natural gas and being a little bit, uh, obviously, less carbon intense? Yes, I'd say the most significant validation that the test was able to achieve is that not only is using hydrogen in a pretty significant way possible, it's possible with existing equipment that's out in the field today. So a lot of uh, utilities that are thinking about their future and, and they have to put resources online to offset their retiring coal plants or other inefficient, inflexible central station power stations, they have an option now today to put in reciprocating engines that have shown the ability to, to use hydrogen in a significant way and reduce their carbon emittance. Additionally, Wartzilla is continually showing the ability to retrofit these same engines that would be put in today to burn on a variety of future fuels, including hydrogen, uh, as the as the fuel availability of these renewable fuels becomes more and more prevalent. Excellent. So tell me a little bit about sustainable fuels uh, for the future. Um, you know, we're all looking for that magic bullet, if you will, to or coming up with a strategy for decarbonization. It could be solar, wind. Um, we have Tesla with uh, these uh, batteries. Hydrogen has come on. Um, hydrogen seems to be one that's kind of like a nuclear that it tends to uh, be 
really neutral in in putting anything into the atmosphere that's harmful or you know it's completely carbon free but i think that when people hear about nuclear and this is not a show on nuclear but they just are scared to death they what comes to mind is chernobyl and uh fukushima so so that's not an option but you know tell me something about um the more um can we let's switch gears and talk about and i'm sorry i haven't even talked about this biofuels um what are the biofuels and how are they showing promise and what you guys are doing as well? well biofuels is an existing fuel that we've been using extensively for years and years and years so basically biofuels is a category where you use organic materials to create what would be equivalent to to diesel fuel so basically fossil fuel but created not by pumping it out of the ground as crude oil and you know refining it into diesel but actually creating that diesel fuel from by with renewable resources such as bio you know um, feedstock um all sorts of different varieties of organic material can be converted to these fuels so we actually have a power plant in hawaii that runs 100 percent on biofuel uh that's been in operation for for quite a few years and it's never used any other fuel but that bio biofuel um, uh, source. So that is a carbon neutral type of um, fuel because you're that organic material that you're you're using to create that feedstock or that fuel, you're taking carbon in to create the fuel. And then when you burn it, you just return that carbon back to the environment. So I'd say carbon neutral. I'd say that that is a, a well-known uh, fuel option. Uh, the downside is, is, is frankly scale. Um, the amount of biofuel um, production capacity is, is not limitless um, in the current infrastructure we have. And to create it, you need a lot of biomaterial to, to do that. So, so it's got a bit of a, a ceiling of usefulness, I would say, uh, where the other future fuels that we've been dis discussing, such as hydrogen, ammonia, and others, the, the, the promise is an unlimited production capacity. And, and, and that unlimited production production capacity being represented by you can build more renewable energy resources such as solar and wind to create these fuels and, and you can just keep creating them with no limit in that capacity now the flip side of that is that still today it is a limited capacity to to create hydrogen and particularly green variety as you described as the the most um exciting of those colors of hydrogen um but hydrogen as a as a as a industrial um chemical um is not new and and people know how to work with it um as far from a safety perspective it's very well understood and it, it's used in many other industries not so much power generation but it's been used in other industries such as steel making cement i mean i'm not an expert in all of those particular things but but it is a, a, a very well-known industrial gas. John, let's let's take a quick break because we're going to get into back into your um, findings. But we've got to take a quick break. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is John Rodriguez, who serves as the Energy Business Director of Energy Power Plants for Wasella, North America. John, before the break, we were talking about biofuels. Um, I think it's kind of important since we're talk radio to really um, help our listeners understand. It's quite confusing. Energy evolution is um, crashing into climate change, uh, and there's a lot of 
a lot of confusion of what is happening here. So uh, biofuels, you mentioned, have been around. Everybody, not everybody, but a lot of um, people in the industry understand that what what it is. I like it because it's basically tasting taking waste products from uh, agriculture and forestry products and repurposing them. Um, and I love to see that. And we were discussing hydrogen and you were saying how um, there are some promises with hydrogen versus of how we can easily adapt more into our solar and wind friends in the energy evolution, if you will. Um, so I'm going to give it back to you, but maybe we can merge it into in y'all's report, you discuss how phasing out fossil fuels and converting power plants to run on sustainable fuels is the final step to the decarbonization journey. That's a big statement. <laughs> so <laughs> tell me, how are we going to do that? Well, that, that statement is, is seemingly bold, but it's based on very, very serious studies and modeling that our company does, along with other global uh, similar organizations that study this sort of thing. Um, so yeah, um, the, the the transition of the energy landscape, and, and particularly in the electricity sector, has been really occurring for quite a few years by the, the rapid build-out of renewable energy resources in the United States and other places around the world. We're, we're, we're reaching tipping points where the amount of renewables on the system can actually maintain the entire grid demand and, mm -hmm. and potentially even more so. And, and what happens now when there's more renewables available than the grid than the grid demand has is we're either putting that energy into battery storage at the utility scale, or we're simply doing something called curtailment, which means turning off. You just basically disconnect the renewable resource so that it doesn't, it has no place to feed the energy. And what, okay. what hydrogen and other future fuels represent is another way to transform that extra energy that's available from renewables, convert it to a chemical, which then is a fuel source, which can then be available to run um, machines like reciprocating engines from Wartzilla when the renewable energy resources just don't happen to be available. So it's another very um, uh, robust way to basically store energy above and beyond any capability of a battery. So you once you convert electricity into one of these future fuels, that fuel is stable and can be used at any period after that as long as you have storage and you know transportation capabilities to move it where it has to go. So so having the ability to allow the continual the continued penetration of renewables onto the grid so that they're not only taking almost all of the demand and serving it, but additionally creating excess demand, I'm sorry, excess generation capacity to then convert that excess electricity into the sustainable fuels. Once we have that at a scale where it can um, create these future fuels at the volume needed and the, the capacity needed to then provide the fuel to these other, these thermal generation assets, then we could, once you get to that point, you could actually basically stop introducing fossil fuels into the mix. So you could replace fossil fuels completely with future fuels at some point in the future when that infrastructure of generation of renewable fuels 
and the ability to store and transport it to the appropriate generation facilities exists. So it, it is definitely feasible and, and the technology is, is very close to be able to succeed on this mission. Um, it yeah, just that was gonna be my question. <laughs> yeah, that was gonna be my question is, you know, prior to hydraulic frac, uh, hydraulic drilling, you know, the technology had been around for quite a while, you know, but the feasibility was not there, neither was the technology to do it. And when it advanced, that's when the shell boom occurred. So I, what I'm picking up is you're kind of saying the same thing pertaining to this. It's only a matter of time before they come on. I'm going to close out the show with you guys have created something futuristic. It is you're developing an engine that can run on pure hydrogen and you hope to develop it and launch it by 20. 26. Tell me about that real quick. Sure. So this is the culmination of years and years of research and development um, by our company uh, with reciprocating engines and, and hydrogen as a fuel. And we are well on track to have that product available by that time frame you described. Is this a car we're talking about? No, this is a very large engine that would be used for electric power generation. Okay. Okay. But then um, is it, can it be modeled into uh, planes, uh, jets, uh, their engines potentially coming down to the truck engines, 18 wheelers that use usually diesel, which is a very dirty burning fuel. I mean, are we talking about that kind of expansion evolution, if you will? This sort of thing can happen in all those sectors you described. Yes. So Tesla's out and hydrogen is in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Look out, uh, Tesla, they're coming after you, Waseli. Um, <laughs> John, I can't thank you enough for this show. It, you know, good job for what you guys are doing and uh, continuing to find the solution to a very difficult uh, problem we have, which is the energy evolution and what that looks like. I'm very glad that I had you on the show to explain this to us and keep up the good work of what you guys are doing. You're very welcome. Pleasure to be here. In the oil and gas industries, you don't just need a workers' comp provider, you need a workers' comp provider who understands your business. That's Texas Mutual Insurance Company. At Texas Mutual, they've created the Texas Oil and Gas Association Safety Group exclusively for businesses involved with exploration and production. That means you'll have access to information and safety resources that fit the way you work. But the advantages don't stop there. As a safety group member, you'll receive a premium discount on your workers' comp. Plus, you can qualify for double dividends. You heard that right. Members can earn an additional dividend on top of the one you receive as a policyholder. It's all part of Texas Mutual's commitment to working as a partner with the businesses that keep our state running. Texas Mutual and the Texas Oil and Gas Association, two great organizations that are even better together. To see if you qualify to become a safety group member, go to texasmutual.com TXOGA. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that will go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at texasmutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil Field Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. 
From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. We are being joined by Dr. Robert Kester, who is the Chief Technology Officer for Admissions at Honeywell. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Hey, thank you for having me. Dr. Kester, do you mind um, telling our audience a little bit about your background? You are part of Honeywell in the Admissions Department, but how did you get there? Tell us a little bit about uh, who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, interesting story there. So I got my PhD from from Rice University here in Houston, mm-hmm. and I actually started my own company called Rebellion Photonics, focused on, uh, you know, gas emissions monitoring and detection with uh, hyperspectral cameras. Um, and then Honeywell acquired my business in, in 2019. So that's how I I, I came into the, the Honeywell uh, company. And, and then within there, we've created this, this exciting initiative of really leveraging all of the different strengths and technologies within Honeywell to tackle this important topic of, of methane emissions and, and really greenhouse gas emissions reduction. Well, I wanted to bring you on because one of the biggest problems that the world faces is, of course, climate change. And while it's always changing, there are some different uh, things that we are using, such as methane gas um, in natural gas, that actually causes a problem and a challenge for climate change. Honeywell, you guys have created some technology that helps to alleviate the problem with climate change, and that is methane leaks. Um, Let's start with, tell me a little bit about what is the significant contributor to climate change? Why is methane leaks so terrible to have? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, around climate change, around uh, global warming, a lot of people have heard about, you know, carbon dioxide or, or CO2. It's probably gone the most publicity. Um, but what people don't realize is that methane, the methane molecule itself is 25 times more potent at capturing heat in our environment. And so, you know, one methane molecule released into the air is the equivalent of 25 uh, carbon dioxide molecules. And so from that perspective, it should be, you know, the, the main gas that we're we're targeting and and trying to reduce the the amount of, of leaks across the industry. You know, methane's a, a key part of the oil and gas, you know, value. Um, you know, provides oil and, and the gas is, you know, primarily methane, right? And we yeah. util, utilize it, you know, in our everyday lives. So so capturing and keeping the molecules in the pipe so so we can benefit it benefit from it is uh, of paramount importance. I think the other thing that is important as well to, to tell our listeners is the fact that the Texas Railroad Commission, there's three uh, commissioners, and part of their role is to look at the environment. And of course, oil and gas, they do a lot of flaring, which is specifically what we're talking about. Um, it, what's your estimate of how much they actually lose in leaks or potentially flaring and, and the cost savings to the operator if they or or, or midstream to, to just look at some kind of technology like what Honeywell is offering? Yeah, so, so the numbers I've seen is is like, I mean, it's staggering. In 2021, I, I think the estimate is that somewhere around $19 billion worth of natural gas was wasted in the industry through, like you said, you know, flaring as well as leaks and, and you know, uh, other wasteful uses of natural gas. So it's it's really important for companies, you know, top lines, bottom lines, as well as the environment that we uh, tackle this issue. So then let's, let's, move into and drill down to your end-to-end admission management suite, better known as EMS. How is it revolutionizing uh, 
methane leaks? Yeah, so it's probably best to talk about how it's being done today to understand the significance of this. So uh, most methane leak detection, it's actually very manual. And you, you go to Midland or other basins and, and there's people driving around on the roads every day going to sites to perform surveys to manually find these lick, leaks and report them out. And then you have to take a second trip to fix them. And so, you know, it's it's very infrequent and very wasteful in a lot of ways to be doing this in, in such a, a manually intensive process. That's where we've we've really focused on how do we disrupt this industry? How do we we deploy technology in a smart fashion to you know help capture this waste? And and that's really what kind of drove us towards this end-to-end emissions management solution. So so what we've done is we've actually created instruments that can go into the oil patch, can go at the equipment level. Our, our newest device, we call it the Signal Scout, Vers- Versatella Signal Scout. It's about the size of a Coke bottle. You know, it's got its own energy built into it and wireless connectivity. It even has a magnetic base. So you could literally just drop this on your, your piece of equipment. And what it does is it automates out that inspection. So we will automatically tell you when a leak occurs. We'll tell you what piece of equipment, how big the leak is, you know, how long it's lasting. And so now your guys can spend all of their time driving out to fix leaks instead of of trying to find them. And and we think that's groundbreaking to be able to have that information in real time at, at you know, oil and gas facilities. It definitely sounds like a game changer. And again, as I, I said earlier, you know, the Texas Railroad Commission is now actually going into rule changing to address methane leaks. So good for them, but also good for Honeywell that you guys are actually coming up with the technology to do this uh, in a way that is efficient. And just to think about how tough it is to make a buck in the oil and gas industry to be efficient. And then, of course, to look at how they are uh, changing what they're doing to replace uh, leaks, uh, the amount of money that they can save in these efficiencies and possibly even recycle um, what they're capturing and use it elsewhere is great. What other uh, sustainable technology uh, are you guys investing in as we start making this path forward to net zero and reducing our carbon footprint? Yeah, absolutely. And so the other the other key piece of this this overall solution is actually our cloud-based software. We call it Forge Sustainability Plus. And so a big area of focus in the industry is not just finding and fixing the leaks, but understanding in real time, you know, how much are you leaking, how much of it's your scope one emissions, your direct emissions, scope two and scope three. And so this software platform pulls in all of that data with your operations data to help baseline your operations. So you understand at a high level, okay, what's my carbon footprint from operations, right? Mm -hmm. Where are my leaks so I can go out and fix them quick so I can get some benefit there. But then we have a suite of other technologies in our portfolio where we can kind of walk with our customers as they're thinking about decarbonizing. Because in the oil and gas space, I mean, to be an energy company and think about decarbonizing is, I mean, that's a pretty bold statement because our our product is carbon-based. And so there's a lot of technologies we can offer up that are around green hydrogen. So, you know, introducing a a new, new supply. Um, 
There's also uh, carbon capture and sequestration technology we have. We also have electrification technologies and even sustainable aviation fuels that we can offer up. So what we're really trying to do is partner with our customers, help them understand their their carbon you know intensity of their operations, and then figure out a unique pathway for them to to get down to their net zero. And and so that's really exciting to uh, yeah. to work with our our customers on on their journey um, to to zero. Some of the biggest problems when I talk to some of the larger uh, operators, um, rather it's executive level C suite, is you know ESG and being able to release a statement of how they're doing it. And it's technology like this that actually tracks, monitors, and can deliver back actually to them what uh, the savings that they're doing and, and be able to make a statement that's factual by actual data to back it up. So exciting stuff you guys are doing. Thank you again for uh, coming and talking to us about the technology. Thank you for joining us and keep up the good work as you continue to represent Honeywell as the admissions director. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.